Amen. Thank you, worship team. And uh, Merry Christmas, church family. It is good to be up here this morning. The Advent season is over, the expectation, the waiting. The final candle has been lit, and the Christ child has arrived. He's going to be known by many names, this baby, as he grows into a man. Jesus, Rabbi, Teacher, Lord, Messiah. But my favorite is what Leanna read earlier. Emmanuel, God is with us. What a beautiful name. Let that sink in for just a second. God is with us. And not just in spirit, not just in theory or by principle, but in human form. God incarnate, God walking around in the flesh, experiencing what we experience. The Gospels tell us the story about this man named Jesus, and each of them have a different, slightly different perspective. They emphasize different things. And you see that from the very beginning and the very beginnings of each Gospel. Mark starts off with action. He, he wants to see lots of things happen. He starts with the uh, baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. Matthew is emphasizing that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, so he begins with a genealogy because the ancestry of Jesus is so important to that perspective. Luke, we think, is probably written to the Gentiles. He also begins with a genealogy, but it's a slightly different one because he's emphasizing something different. And the Gospel of John does something entirely different, as the Gospel of John tends to do. It begins with what's known as the prologue, the first 14 verses of the Gospel of John. It's poetic, it's beautiful, and it's really deep. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. But before we do, let's pray. God, we're so grateful for this day. We're grateful for a day that is so full of meaning and help us in the midst of the craziness and the busyness and family and gifts and all of that, that we would just take some time and really think about what this means of you coming down to earth in the form of a helpless, vulnerable baby. Just pray as we look into your word that your spirit would guide us into your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 1, the first 14 verses say this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, 
who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. There is so much to this passage that we could unpack. There are are beautiful themes of light and darkness and flesh and spirit, of adoption and enlightenment. We could do an entire sermon series just on these 14 verses, but what I want to do this morning, given that it's Christmas, is focus in on that one little phrase toward the end. The word became flesh and lived among us. We know this as the incarnation, that the Spirit of God inhabited a human body in the person of Jesus Christ. It's so fundamental to our faith that we really don't think about it much. And I don't know about you, but I tend to really emphasize the divinity of Jesus. I don't think much about his humanity, and that's what I want to do this morning. We believe Jesus was truly human and truly God. I think the humanity of Jesus gives us two things. It gives us hope, but it also gives us a challenge. We're going to start with hope. Now think about it. If Jesus was truly human, then he experienced the same kinds of things that you and I experience every day, that we've gone through. He had normal human emotions. He experienced joy. He experienced sadness. He experienced boredom and excitement and pain and sorrow. And and he went through a lot of the things that you and I did as he grew up, as he became a man. In all likelihood, he probably got sick at some point with a cold or the flu. Can you picture Jesus being ill? Nothing in Scripture that says that couldn't have happened. Imagine him as a young child laying in Mary's lap, her face creased with worry as she she put a cold cloth across his head when he was in the midst of a fever, having to clean up after him after the stomach flu. I have so many questions about Jesus' early life that the Gospels are really silent on. Was he aware of his divinity from birth, or was it something that gradually dawned on him over time? What was he like as a child? We're we're taught through the Bible that he was without sin, but I don't think that means he was boring, right? We know he had brothers. Imagine him playing with his brothers and sisters and other kids from his village. What was that like? Did he he cheat at hide-and-seek, right? If he was omniscient, I can just picture him with Jesus. How do you always figure out where I am? right? Or, or when they were playing tag, did he run out onto the water, <laughs> right, so they couldn't come get him? We don't know, right? The Gospels are silent on these issues. He went through adolescence. He went through puberty. Did his, did his voice crack when he was around the village elders and they all laughed at that? He had growth spurts. His bones ached. He probably felt 
like his limbs were too long, and he was lanky like a lot of us did as we were growing up. He learned a trade from his father. You've probably heard that he was a carpenter, and that's certainly possible. The word that's translated as carpenter actually means tradesman, and it could have been any kind of a trade. I've read some scholars think he was actually a stonemason. But we know that he worked with his hands. He, he got them dirty every single day. He developed blisters. He had cuts. He learned the satisfaction of building something with his own two hands. Hands that would eventually be pierced by nails, driven through by an expert Roman executioner. He felt that warm glow of satisfaction as his skills developed and he felt his dad's approval at the work that he was doing. There is so much that I want to know about Jesus growing up that we don't know. Everything you just heard is just conjecture on my part, but there's lots of stories about Jesus in the Gospels that really reveal his humanity. So I want to explore some of those with you. Has, Has your mom ever manipulated you into doing something that you didn't want to do? That happened to Jesus. The the very first miracle in the Gospel of John, when Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus and his disciples were at at a wedding. Again, very human event, right? Somebody invited Jesus to come to this wedding. It was very early in his ministry. He was just starting. And his, his mom came up to Jesus and said that they have run out of wine. Now, in any situation, that would be embarrassing, But in a culture that puts so much value on hospitality, this was just a disaster for this family. So I picture Mary coming up to Jesus and saying, hey, they ran out of wine, right? And do the little eyebrow thing, like, you know, you could could fix this, right? Jesus' response was, woman, my hour has not yet come. Now, that sounds disrespectful to us, but the word translated as woman was actually a fairly common term to use with your mom. But my hour has not yet come. Let me, let me, let me put it in modern vernacular. Mom, ixne on the iracle may, okay? He said, no, I'm not going to do this. So what does Mary do, right? Just a classic mom move passive-aggressive power move, right? She doesn't even address him. She turns to the servants that she probably brought with her and said, just do what he says, and walks off. So what does Jesus do? He does the miracle. He turns the water into wine. Now, personally, I picture him kind of rolling his eyes a little bit, like, my mom's making me do this. The servants had uh, these huge stone jars that held like 20 to 30 gallons each. He said, fill them with water and then scoop a cup out and take it to the head steward. And the head steward said, why did you save your best wine for last? A wonderful mix right in that story of the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. Do, Do little kids have a special place in your heart? They did with Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, some little kids were around Jesus and his disciples wanted to just keep them away, just keep the little kids away from maybe they were being protective, maybe they were just being grumpy old men, we don't know. But he said, no, 
Let the children come to me, do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. He not only loved those kids, he turned it into a teaching moment for his disciples. Wonderfully human touch. Do you get exhausted by being with people and traveling? Jesus did. In Mark chapter 4, we read this very famous story of Jesus calming the waves when he was out on a boat, right? And that's what we really focus on, that divine power that could actually quench natural forces. But there's a wonderfully human element of this as well. He had just spent the day before a large crowd teaching a whole series of parables. He was exhausted. It says that the disciples found Jesus asleep. They were worried about sinking and drowning. It was so bad. Jesus was spent. He was physically exhausted. He fell asleep on these cushions. A friend of mine recently pointed out that Jesus took the cushions, right? He didn't leave those for somebody else. He was taking care of himself physically. Again, a very human element. Have you ever mourned the loss of a loved one? Have you ever felt that deep punch in your gut over that feeling of loss that you weren't going to see this person again? John eleven thirty five 35 is the shortest verse in the Bible. It simply says, Jesus wept. But what was he weeping over? He was weeping over the death of a loved one. Lazarus had died. Mary and Martha, his sisters, he saw their anguish and their grief. He felt genuine human emotions, that gut-wrenching feeling of loss. Have you ever struggled with the decision to do something that you know was the right thing, but you didn't want to do it? Jesus did. Matthew chapter 26, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows he's facing the crucifixion. The story tells us that he told his disciples that he was in an anguish. He threw himself down onto the ground. The Gospel of Luke adds this really interesting little detail that blood poured off of him like sweat. There's a medical condition under extremely high stress. The blood pressure gets so high that blood actually seeps out of the pores. And what did Jesus say? Father, let this cup pass. I don't want to do this. He was in anguish over this. Very understandable human reluctance to put himself through this just horrific pain and torture and death. But he ends it by saying, yet not what I want, but what you want. He did the right thing, even when everything inhuman in him was screaming out, I don't want this. I could go for a, on for a long time with these stories, but when you hear the stories of Jesus, when you read the Gospels, look for those very human elements. They're there. So how does this bring us hope? How does this idea that Jesus lived a very human life, even while being divine, how does this bring us hope? 
The author to the book of Hebrews answers that. In Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I love that phrase, approach the throne of grace with boldness. We don't have a God who remains at this aloof distance from us. We have a God who understands our pain. We have a God who understands the things we're going through, the struggles that we have. He rejoices in our victories and grieves with us over our losses. That's the hope that we have. So what's the challenge? When I was in college, I worked for an electroplating firm, and we also sold electroplating equipment to other companies. Um, And one of my jobs was to assemble the electroplating machines. And we didn't sell very much, so maybe once a month, every few weeks or so, I'd have to assemble these machines. Um, And so I didn't do it often enough to really get into a rhythm, but I had schematics, I had wiring diagrams that would show me what to do. But they could be confusing trying to translate what was on paper with this pile of parts in front of me. So what was really helpful for me was to go open up the back of one of our existing machines that we used in the shop and see, okay, well that wire works around here and that's, that's where those connections go. Seeing something on paper in the abstract sometimes can be difficult to figure out exactly what to do. I think the life of Jesus works the same way for us. See, Jesus walked the walk. He didn't just say to do things, he actually did those things. Jesus didn't just say to live your life by the priorities of the kingdom of God, he lived his life by the priorities of the kingdom of God. He didn't just say to pray. He prayed regularly, multiple times in the Gospels. It says he went off by himself, sometimes very early in the morning, to get away with people and just pray. He didn't just say to turn the other cheek. He turned the other cheek. He didn't say resist temptation. He resisted temptation. He didn't warn us about the corrupting power of money, and tell us not to store up treasure for ourselves on earth, as far as we know, he didn't have any possessions to his name. He didn't just say to love your enemies. He loved his enemies to the point that while he was hanging on a cross, looking down at the people who had just tortured him and were in the process of killing him, and what did he do? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He loved them. Now, it, it, it wasn't all just rainbows and puppies and good news with Jesus as well. He could be harsh and demanding when the situation called for it. The very first words of his public ministry was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent means change direction, change your behavior, act differently. He defied cultural norms when he he conversed with the woman at the well in in John chapter 4, 
but he also told her to stop sinning. He accepted her, but he also wanted her to change her behavior, to act differently. And what really set him off was religious hypocrisy, which should give great pause to those of us who are striving to follow him. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 23 to some of the most prominent men in his community. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside look beautiful, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and full of all kinds of uncleanness. So you also on the outside look righteous to others, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It could be tough when the time's called for it. And this is the example that Jesus has set for us, one that he expects his followers to emulate, a radically different way of living. That's our challenge. So in the humanity of Jesus, it gives us great hope, but it also gives us a great challenge. I think it's important to not just recognize what the word became, but what it didn't become. It didn't become a set of rules and regulations. It didn't become a set of dogma and doctrines. It didn't become an ideology or even a religion. It became flesh. God appeared in human form, a physical and very human embodiment of God's love. Brings us hope, but it also gives us a challenge. We can have hope because we know we can approach God with confidence, that he knows our challenges, our limitations, our shortcomings. But it's also a challenge because Jesus is no longer physically here. So guess whose job it is to do that? It's our job. Luke chapter 4 tells a story very early in Jesus' ministry. He went to the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown. He read a passage from Isaiah and said that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him and anointed him to do a series of things. Here's the list. Here's our legacy. To bring good news to the poor. To proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set free those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the example he set. That's his mission we are to embrace. That's our job now. Let me close with a, a quote that I saw the other day from St. Teresa of Avila. Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on the world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. On this beautiful Christmas day, 
we recognize and we celebrate the arrival of the incarnate God in the form of a small and vulnerable baby boy. May we be encouraged by the thought and the hope that we can approach God with boldness, knowing that he can sympathize with our weaknesses and that we can receive mercy and find grace to find help in time of need. But may we also accept that challenge to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, to live as he lived, to love as he loved, and to spread the light of Jesus to a world that desperately needs to see it. Amen.